Welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, episode number 54, where we go back, back to, to the, the past. past and read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. You can hear us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.podbean.com or pick us up on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and from the monitor tapes. This mm. is it. We've made it to the end of this maxi series, Chris. We made it to the end of episode 50? <laughs> That's right. Our, our 50th episode <laughs> celebration is now in its fifth, ep- fifth and final episode where we've been yes. reading Crisis on Infinite Earths. That's 12 issues. This is issue number 12 we'll be reading today. Cover dated April 1985 to March 1986. Written by Marl Wolfman. Penciled by George Perez. Inked by Dick Giordano, Jerry Ordway, Mike DiCarlo. Colored by Anthony Tolan, Tom Ziuko, Carl Gafford. Lettered by John Costanza. Edited by Marl Wolfman. And this oversized issue is priced at $1.25. Hmm. Now, before we get to it, let's catch us up on Mr. Marv Wolfman uh, again. Uh, <laughs> Marvin Take <Marvin>. five. <laughs> yes. He was born uh, May 13th, 1946 in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, with penciler George Perez, uh, Marv launched the, uh, relaunched DC's Teen Titans in a special preview in DC Comics Presents number 26. That was cover dated October 1980. Uh, they would have a formal debut just uh, one month later, November 1980, in New Teen Titans number one. And a few short years after that, he'd be writing the book we're going to talk about today. That's right. And then the artist, George Perez, born June 9, 1954 in South Bronx, New York City. In 1980, while still drawing the Avengers for Marvel, Perez began working for their rival DC Comics, began drawing the new Teen Titans with their first appearance in DC Comics presents number 26, and then he took a leave of absence from the new Teen Titans in 1984 to focus on his next project with Marv Wolfman. Crisis in Infinite Earths, and here we are, folks. By the way, you can hear longer bios. The first couple episodes of the series had longer yeah. bios for them, and also on our Teen Titans episode, we do much longer bios for both of them. Absolutely. But, uh, let's, let's catch this up as best we can <laughs> what's come before. Let's see here. We have the Anti-Monitor hailing from the planet Quad in the Antimatter universe is devouring the multiverse. Using antimatter, not naturally. Yeah. Uh, his twin brother, the Monitor, assembles the best heroes from the remaining planets left in the multiverse with the help of his assistant-slash-adopted daughter, Lila, who we now know as Harbinger. Uh, I used to call her Harbinger. Yes, but, uh... I did, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also rescues baby Alexander Luthor Jr. from Earth-3 before it is destroyed. Uh, the Monitor is also sending this fella named Pariah around the multiverse to weep at each universe before it's destroyed. Uh, while grabbing heroes, Harbinger is possessed by the Anti-Monitor and spies for the bad guys. The Anti-Monitor also takes the Flash off the board, this is Barry Allen, mm-hmm. since he can travel between dimensions already. He also nabs the Psycho Pirate for uh, complicated reasons. Yeah, that don't really figure into this recap, but it, there is a reason for it. And, and <laughs> Trust he, us. He figures into this issue, so I figured we got to mention that he's sure. lurking around. Uh, the Monitor calls Pariah aboard his satellite and admits to subjecting him to horrors and seeing every universe destroyed. Uh, Pariah is pretty annoyed by that, but then just then, possessed by the Anti-Monitor, Harbinger kills the Monitor. Uh, but in doing so, enacts a sequence that ultimately, over a couple of issues, shoves <laughs> five Earths into a safe zone uh, away from the Anti-Monitor. Also, the Earths are combining, and they threaten to destroy each other. They're kind of merging in, into one. Uh, and this would be Earths 1, 2, Earth-S, which is the Captain Marvel Shazam Earth, Earth-X, which is the 
uh, Freedom Fighters. Freedom Fighters, and then uh, Earth 4, which would be Charlton Heroes. Uh, meanwhile, baby Alexander Luther has grown up into a man within a matter of days, and the Antimatter paused, and with no longer destroying Earths, the uh, heroes head into the Antimatter universe to destroy his satellite, and Supergirl dies in the process of doing that. Then, the Antimonitor tries to build an antimatter cannon so he can destroy the remaining Earths from afar, but he's thwarted by the Barry Allen Flash, who also dies in the process of doing that. Then, it turns out the Antimonitor has gone back to the dawn of creation, where he intends to remake the universe in his antimatter image. Two teams of heroes are sent back in time, one to the Antimonitor, the other to stop the Guardian Krona from performing his time experiment, uh, which is a whole other thing. Uh, we can, <laughs> if, if you want the skinny on that, we, we do talk about it, but you can also read Green Lantern Volume 2, number 40, to get that info. Yeah. Uh, Alexander Luther pulls some kind of magic that defeats the Anti-Monitor and remakes the multiverse. So it's now a universe. Uh, there's just one Earth now, and some characters are anomalous to it, since, you know, their backstories could never have existed in this one true universe. Uh, but it turns out that the Anti-Monitor is still in full effect anyway, and off we go to Crisis number 12. That's right, titled Final Crisis, and here it is. I'm, I'm already confused. <laughs> it, I'm not surprised. I'm trying to <laughs> suss it out for you, but, uh... <laughs> Basically, you can also call this whole story, you can't keep a good anti-monitor down. I'll tell you mm -hmm. that. This is a guy that, he takes a lick and he keeps on ticking. Very uh, tenacious. This is called the Giant Final Issue Spectacular, and it's got a pretty amazing cover, which shows the anti-monitor kind of emerging from a city coming up at you, or possibly falling towards the city. It's mm -hmm. hard to tell what's happening, but it's an overhead shot, and there's handfuls of heroes in his closed fits, and he's being blasted by two dozen or more heroes. Uh, and the anti-monitor looks like he's being hurt by this, and it's just got this amazing one-point perspective, right, Chris? I mean, yeah, it's like totally. it, the ruler got to work out here. And the whole <laughs> city, every single building is perfectly aligned Pristine, the way it should perfect. be, and yep. uh, it's such a—it's a very George Perez thing. It's you got to see it to believe it. Uh, we open with Rip Hunter and his new band of time hunters, namely Adam Strange, Captain Comet, Dolphin, the Atomic Knight, and Animal Man. And they behold something Dolphin has never seen before. In fact, Dolphin goes, I have never seen anything like it before. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, they're investigating Brainiac's ship, and it's made from living metal. It doesn't seem to be alive at the moment, however. Yeah, Captain Comet goes, the entire ship is composed of living metal, same as Brainiac himself. In fact, it's an extension of him. It and Brainiac are one. Adam Strange says, Captain Comet, look over here. The ship's monitor is focused on where Earth should be, but it's gone. Poor Dolphin, still confused. I, I, I do not understand. Where did it go? She probably shouldn't be along for this ride, right, Chris? Probably I mean, really, not. She seems like the... <laughs> She's the weak link here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Animal Man says, don't look at me. I didn't take it. Nice one. Nice one. Yeah. Uh, suddenly, there's a noise coming from the ship. Captain Comet goes, hold it, you hear that? The Atomic Knight goes, You mean that unearthly squeal coming from Brainiac's chamber? Nah, I don't hear anything. Besides, I thought that computerized killer short-circuited or something. Atomic Knight, you are the worst detective ever. He's up there. Uh, we can see that Brainiac's humanoid form is coming to life when the eyes flicker their red lights. Brainiac says, Earthmen, why are you aboard my ship? You have guaranteed your own destruction. Dolphin goes, Brainiac, you, you helped us before to stop the, the monitor. 
I aided humans. Impossible. And so Dolphin explains how Brainiac did, in fact, help, and how the Earth has vanished. Uh, Brainiac sees that Dolphin is telling the truth, and then he gets the entire lowdown as, as this band of travelers knows it. Data received and understood. Rem, if your faulty human perception is inadequate, I am unable to supply the power you require. But there is another who can, and I can take you to him. Stand back while I interface with my ship and direct it to its interdimensional destination. Our journey now begins. The journey begins now? What, what have they been doing up to this point? I thought they were journeying. <laughs> Animal man quips. Boys and girls, something tells me we're going where no man has gone before. Captain, warp factor six, and let's pray these engines can take the strain. Oh, the worst kind of guy. Uh, <laughs> Brainiac's ship takes off into outer space to parts unknown. Meanwhile, the only existing Earth is in trouble. The Earth shudders and screams as it is wrenched from the safety of its crucial nest and brought here, here to this burning cosmic hell, here to this place of death. The air is alive with fire and electricity, with the stink of sulfur, with the banshee wail of things long dead. And the anti-monitor appears above an Earth cityscape in a red outline against a swirling red maelstrom with lightning. Welcome to the antimatter universe. Welcome to your doom. The planet Earth, shielded from the rest of the antimatter universe by an impenetrable force field. Not to keep the anti-monitor out, but to keep the Earth's heroes trapped within. And you know, Chris, they said the same thing about the Hot Pockets crisper sleeve. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't Nonsense. work at all. It's frozen on the outside, frozen <laughs> on the inside, boiling in the outside. That's all again. <laughs> the anti-monitor goes, since my birth 10 million years ago, I have not known defeat. I mean, to be fair, though, he, he was asleep for a lot of that time. You know, I mean, come Do you on. count that as a loss? I, I, I don't maybe. know. <laughs> a thousand universes before yours perished without resistance, but you refused to die. I was to enlarge my antimatter universe to have it replace all other universes. A thousand meaningless worries because you resisted my efforts to destroy you. One universe protected by one small and terribly insignificant little world. A token force of humans succeeds where, where until powers had failed. Uh, don't forget your brother, the monitor. He helped out a lot there. He, he, was, he, he, he was there for a he while. He was involved, yeah. <laughs> he gets a badge. I offer you my congratulations. I acknowledge your persistence. Your will to live is ex is astonishing. Well, I mean, thank you very much. I don't think we could have done it without the help. Your Please. world must die. Oh, it's it's that kind of congratulations. Yeah, it's one of those. What is it? It's like one of those compliment sandwiches. Exactly, compliment rags or whatever. <laughs> yes. As your Supergirl died, as your Flash died. As so many others who tried to stop me died. Well, I mean, both of them died stopping you, so they kind and of... And with its death, there is there will be none who can prevent my universe from replacing your own. Uh, various heroes on Earth react to the anti-monitor's speech, culminating in the last panel where Kid Flash is shocked. The Flash? He's, he's dead? You murdered the Flash? How? Where is he? That's a heck of a way for him to find out, right? In front of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> the swirling red storm withdraws, leaving the Earth in total black darkness. My warriors stain your world with blood. They are everywhere and cannot be stopped. 
You're the death knell, humans. It's the last sound you'll ever hear. And then Superman of Earth-1 goes, he's gone. And the sky turned black. But what did he mean? His warriors are already here. Earth-2 Superman's using his telescopic vision to look around the city. Ah, this would illuminate things we don't know. I'm not sure, but it's something he can see things. And he says, <laughs> great Scott, use your telescopic vision. Look at the cities, any city. The screams, Kal-El, pleading, praying, panicking. Why do I have to have super hearing? Th this is too much to bear. And now we see that uh, what Superman of Earth 2 is seeing, and there is indeed mayhem in the streets. Kal-El, we have to do something. Somehow we have to stop the anti-monitor before he gets his way. Believe me, I want to. More than I've ever wanted anything in the past. All right, I guess it's time to... Wait. You again? Well, who else is always going to tell them to wait? It's got to be Harbinger. Got to be. Harbinger, what is it now? I'm fed up with talking. <laughs> there is no time for discussion, Superman. It is time to act. It is time to attack. What did you think they were just about to do? They were literally getting to that, like, right Yeah. Side. Together, the best of us. Are you ready? Are you crazy? I've been ready since before Kara died. Whatever I have to do, whatever becomes of me, the Anti-Monitor will meet his end. Then both of you take my hand. His journey to hell begins. Now each Superman grabs one of Lila's hands and they vanish in a pink sparkling light. But that was just one Harbinger. She can turn into 20 Harbingers now. And another is speeding on her way to Japan. Uh, this is to get the new Dr. Light, it would seem. That's right. She shows up over there and says, I have come for you. I need you. Sunburst is sort of hanging out, reeling from the intense shine radiating from Dr. Light's body. Dr. Light says, that's Harbinger. Harbinger. She's here to remind me how I helped kill Supergirl. I called to her, and she turned, and the anti-monitor slew her. It's my fault she died. My fault. No, Dr. Light. The battle had already killed her. That final blast kept her from suffering. And besides, any, any judge in the land would still pin the killing on the anti-monitor himself. Right. Uh, at worst, she'd be an accessory to murder. I mean, he, he shot the blast. That's all there is mm -hmm. to it, yeah. That he's yeah. the killer. <laughs> now, Harbinger convinces Dr. Light to use Supergirl's inspirational heroism to do the thing that Harbinger wants her to do. <laughs> uh, Dr. Light says she came she came here to ask Sunburst for advice, and he advises that she listen to the mysterious teleporting blonde lady, as, as you would do. Right. Uh, and Dr. Light agrees. <laughs> she agrees to go with Harbinger. And the caption says, and the darkness is everywhere. So deep, so rich, so cold, immutable. Then comes the light. Piercing, blinding light, cracking through a spiderweb of shattered ebon glass. The darkness spreads like some living thing, until all who numbly watch in horror come to understand. The darkness is alive. Mm, and we see some panels progress as described by the caption, until the darkness splits into millions of shadow creature things. Uh, the challenges of the unknown are there to bear witness. Yeah, June Robbins says, Ace, Prof, Red, the sky. Red goes, the darkness was millions of the monitor shadow demons. Way to mansplain that, dude. You could have let her finish mm. her sentence. She caption says, the challenges of the unknown have lived through horrors that would terrify the bravest of souls. 
but even they are in the grip of mind-numbing fear as they stare into the cold, dark face of death itself. And what they see reflected in its burning eyes is nothing less than the end of all that is. Which they they faced that exact same thing at least three times already in the series, right? I think, I think of this day. You know what I mean? It's been a heck of a day. <laughs> it's been a day. Uh, now shadow beings attack everywhere at once, but superheroes seem to be making quick work of them one on one. There's also heroes rescuing people. How about that? Well, yeah, we don't see that so much anymore. No. Caption says this battle is between the forces of matter and antimatter, between light and dark, between what is good and what is evil. Is this like a tournament? That's like six different things. Yeah, I, there's not an equivalence between antimatter and evil. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> there's some good antimatter out it there. It could be. It could be good. Yeah. <laughs> now, as long as the regular matter was evil, the antimatter would have to be good by definition. There you go. <laughs> now, the the Earth is still embedded in the antimatter universe. Uh, some captions remind us. So there's uh, like twice the peril. Japan is defended by Sunburst and the global guardian known as the Rising Sun. Wait, hold the phone. We haven't met either of these guys yet, Chris. Can you believe it? I couldn't believe that at issue 12... We're, we're being tackled on the one-yard line. We're still meeting new characters <laughs> so that we haven't met in this series. So uh, let's do some quick bios here. Sure. Uh, Sunburst, a.k.a. Takeo Sato, first appeared in New Adventures of Superboy number 45. September 1983 cover date by Paul Kupperberg and Alex Saviuk. A television stuntman that inhaled fumes from a volcano as a baby finds that he can convert solar energy to blasts, and he can also fly around. That's like child abuse, right? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. We got Rising Sun, also known as Izumi Yasunari. She debuted in Super Friends number 8, uh, November 1977, by E. Nelson Bridwell and Ramona, Ramona Fraden. Uh, Dr. Yasunari is a solar physicist that is also a member of the Global Guardians. Yeah, and they'll be more important in this immediate section. Uh, the Global Guardians first appeared in DC Comics Presents number 46, June 1982 cover, by E. Nelson Bridwell and Alex Saviak. And uh, this is a team of superheroes from around the world, like an international team. Basically an idea that originated from the Super Friends television series. Remember the one with uh, Black Lightning and the, the Indian giant? You know what I'm talking about. Apache Chief, Apache yeah. Chief, and they had a, uh, a, a red tornado that was actually a samurai, something like this. I don't yep. know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, Red Star protects the Soviet Union as best as he can, uh, while Godiva and Jack-O-Lantern defend the British Isles. <laughs> That's two more people we haven't met. Right. Uh, now, we've had a few Godivas, but this one first appeared in Super Friends number 7. This is October 1977 cover date by Bridwell and Frayden. Uh, she's got powers like Medusa from the Inhumans, uh, but she's blonde, uh, so she can manipulate her hair, I guess. Uh, she's also a member of the Global Guardians, naturally. And then there's Jack O'Lantern, who joined the fun in Super Friends number 8, November 1977. I, I wonder what country he represents. Uh, I couldn't. <laughs> what could it be? Faith in Begora? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, by, also by Bridwell and Frayden And that's Daniel Cormack of Ireland Was born to a poor farmer Who was granted a magic light lantern By an Irish fairy There you go uh, That's the most Irish story they could possibly <laughs> I gotta give it up to them though they, Daniel Cormack is not the most Embarrassing yeah. Irish name they could have come up with they There's could've... no O and apostrophe exactly. They could have been good. like oh it's Ayn McGinnicuddy You know something <laughs> yes. anyway. Uh, she must have sworn to Exactly. Yeah. Uh, again, this guy's also down at the Global Guardians. 
this. Uh, over in Vietnam, look, more international heroes we haven't met yet. It's almost like Marv Wolfman was going down a list, don't you think? Maybe <laughs> he got a he got a letter from Peter Sanderson saying, "I did all this research." Yeah, you got to get them all in there now. <laughs> we're in Vietnam, and we're going to meet Thunder and Lightning, who cracked into his existence in New Teen Titans number thirty-two. This is cover date 1983, uh, June, uh, by Wolfman and Perez. This is Gan and Tavis Williams, their mother Vietnamese and their father an American lieutenant. They were born conjoined twins but got separated by magic. Uh, turns out that their father's also an alien, so that's why they have superpowers that can mimic thunder and lightning. Sure, why not? That's good. It's convenient. Yeah, that also helped. I was, <laughs> like, but I was, you know, the, the fact they were conjoined and separated by magic, that was just incidental. That really had nothing to do with the fact that they have powers. And it's a good thing that like one of them was one of them wasn't thunder and the other one was. Uh, I don't know, like exploding fingertips or something. That could have been. That's a bad match. Yeah, you could have yeah. trouble. Uh, of course, Geo Force is holding it down in his home country of Markovia. He's defending that. While in South America, Green Fury is dispatching the Shadow Beings with some help from the Marvel family. In that weird, craggy place where the Spectre is sleeping and Dead Man hangs out with the Phantom Stranger, Dr. Mist has shown up. Uh, they were trying to wake the Spectre up. Uh, and, you know, wake me up when we're talking about this. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, heroes have assembled below them. It gives the impression that this rocky place is more an ethereal concept than an actual area. Yeah, they're kind of hovering above them, so... Yeah. Anyway, uh, Harbin just says, For more than a year, the Monitor observed and recorded information on all of you. He needed to know your powers and abilities. I was his assistant and know much of what he knew. You may not be as powerful as some others, but your abilities are needed now. We cannot allow personal grievances to interfere with our mission. We must work as a team. Alexander Luther, are you ready? I am, Harbinger. Pariah, will you lead us to the Anti-Monitor once we have bridged the barrier he created? Uh, you can just follow the trail of tears left by Pariah. <laughs> Jade says, My dad, Green Lantern, is with the Sorcerers in Dr. Fate's Tower. After all, his ring is mystical, not scientific. While we go after the Anti-Monitor, they will stop his demons. Then all is ready, and I will summon forth again the Anti-Matter which burns within me. We see Alexander like well up with a yellow energy and then he fires a blue beam into the sky and this beam pushes the force field away to kind of reveal outer space, which in the antimatter universe looks just like our outer space, but the stars are have like a red hue to them. Yeah. That's nice. Alexander goes, When my father saved me from the destruction of Earth three, he could not have known how fortuitous his actions would prove. And think about how lucky all of you are to have met him. That's so nice. <laughs> Yes. He was my Earth's greatest hero. It is in his name that I must do this now. A dead man's watching all this unfold and gives Alexander some begrudging compliments, like, in his mind. <laughs> He's not even to his face. Then he spies a red and yellow blur streaking toward the blue beam, which it then rides into space. He thinks to himself, something down below. Can't make it out. It's rushing towards the light bridge. What is it? One of the monitor's demons? Blast. If he gets through and warns the big kahuna, none of these guys are going to make it out alive. Elsewhere, Brainiac's ship has arrived at its intended destination, and it's Apocalypse. Yes, Rip Hunter goes, where are you taking us? To the only one powerful enough to give us aid. Prepare to teleport to the planet's surface. Captain Comet says, do you smell it? This world stinks of decay. Adam Strange goes, where are we? 
We are on a world of nightmares whose darkest demon shall show us the light. Dolphin is the only one to speak, uh, to, to think clearly here. She goes, I do not like this. We should leave. Makes sense to me. Yep. But Adam Strange says, <laughs> you'd better be telling us the truth, Brainiac. Adam Strange, I have never been programmed to lie. I assist you because my destruction is assured if our enemy is victorious. And I bring you here because what is most feared is what we most need. There, he sensed our coming. And it's dark side. Welcome, my friends, to Apocalypse. I am its master, Dark Side, the Destroyer. Oh, I guess that was supposed to be the big reveal. Right it's a good thing he didn't mispronounce his name as Darkseed there. You know? Yeah, I also did that as a young lad. <laughs> now, back on Earth, things are pretty chaotic, as you might imagine. Uh, Lana Lang and Lois Lane reported on the proceedings for WGBS. Hawk and Dove are rescuing as many people as possible from the Shadow Demons. Uh, the human bomb is there, too, incidentally, just sort of existing and helping, too. Dove spies a kid at a window of a disheveled-looking building. He goes, hold it, Hawk. There's a kid over there, trapped. Dove, we can't save everybody while fighting that enemy. But we've got to try. We two have always fought our wars differently. You with your fists, me with my heart. Dove sprints on the roof of a truck and grabs the kid from a second-story window, but doesn't see the shadow monster sneaking up behind him. <laughs> there, gotcha now. Be careful, kid. Find a place to hide. Don't come out until all this is over. Don! My God! Behind you! Don! The shadow beast plunges its arms into Dove and uh, shreds him into pieces or, or something yeah, like I don't that. Yeah, really, but Hawk says, Don! <laughs> Lois Lane reports, Dove of Hawk and Dove, two heroes thought to have retired several years ago, was saving the life of a child. And now, now he's dead. Gone as if he'd never existed. It's horrible, Lana. Horrible. Over to Lana Lang, who says, Please give us a moment to collect ourselves. What's happening makes objective reporting impossible. Funny, that doesn't seem to be an issue in the present day, does it? No, that's obviously a throwback to uh, journalism. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's going to make it less accessible to the readers. <laughs> uh, in Salem, Massachusetts, a coalition of magicians sit in a circle in some deep pit. Uh, Dr. Occult and Alan Scott Green Lantern are in the center, uh, Dr. Occult's disc and the actual lantern beside them, between them. Uh, the pit is full of some vibrant uh, green energy. Johnny Thunder is sort of just hanging around and watching while Thunderbolt has joined the sorceress. Yeah, he has nothing else to do, so he's just hanging Sure. There. Caption reads, Johnny Thunder listens but hears nothing. The mystics make no sound, for the incantation they make is a silent one, each calling on his own source of power, each summoning his own beliefs, and acting as the nexus. The link between all are Dr. Occult and the Green Lantern. Over on the antimatter world of Quard. Oh, wait, when you look at this, is this the rocky place where the specter is sleeping? It looks just <laughs> it like it. Be. It looks exactly <laughs> like it, but I, I don't think it is. But no. I'm like, oh, you know, we don't see the specter again, so I don't know where he's still sleeping. <laughs> now, the heroes have made it past the force field around Earth, and they are ready to rumble. Earth 2 Superman says, We've made it this far. Now what? Wonder Woman of Earth 2 responds, That's up to Pariah. He has the power to focus on evil and bring us to its source. He does? That's mm -hmm. news to me. Jeez, all right. <laughs> Superman of Earth-1 goes, then let's get on with it. And Pariah says, I, I can't. I sense evil all around us. 
There's no single point to concentrate on. I'm not going to sit around here and wait. I want to find the anti-monitor now. Kid Flash goes, so do I, Superman, just as much as you do. Jade responds, what are you doing here? The anti-monitor said he killed the Flash. That makes it my business. Barry is more than my uncle. He was my mentor and my friend. Maybe Harbinger excluded me from this group because I don't have the necessary powers, but that wasn't good enough for me. I was coming and nobody was going to stop me. Don't you see? I had to join you guys, or... And Barry Allen, as the Flash shimmers into existence for a second, to say, Wally! And then he shimmers away. Captain Marvel observes, He's gone. Disappeared. I thought the Flash died. Captain Adam says, The Batman said he saw Flash's image too, and Flash was moving through time. His image must have phased in and out as he did. And the caption helpfully tells us that this happened in issues two and eight of this series. Yes, Kid Flash goes, no, he was calling to me. I know he was. Uh, what tipped him off? Was it that he said your name? I, was Maybe. I, yeah. <laughs> I can still, still pick up an afterimage. I'm going to follow it. No matter where it takes me, I have to find it. Don't you understand? I have to. Kid Flash takes off running and the concerned heroes follow, but Kid Flash doesn't run for too long. Now Superman of Earth 1 goes, Wally, please, you can't keep this up. Barry's gone, just like Kara. It's over for both of them. Yeah, well, you've had like a while to get over Supergirl's death. Wally just found out about the Flash an hour ago. And can yeah, we, just seconds ago. <laughs> can we stop talking about, you know, Kara over and over? We know she died, okay? A lot of people have died here. We all saw the cover. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> Kid Flash replies, I kept praying, hoping, but it's true, look. And the Psycho Pirate is looking beaten up, trying to tug the Flash's costume from a tight crevasse. Yeah, he's looking really messed up. He says... Come on, Flash! You said you'd save me! You promised you would! You promised! The Anti-Monitor lied to me, but I know you won't! You're one of the good guys! Good guys never lie! I'm scared, Flash! So frightened! He's going to kill me unless you save me! Don't just sit there! Help me! Save me! Kid Flash replies with a... No, 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 no! I told you I was sorry for hurting you before, but save me now! Save me now! And Kid Flash cold cocks Psycho Pirate right in the face. Leave the gnome from alone. Get your stinking hands off it. Let it go, you maniac. Let it go. The Ray pipes in and goes, Kid Flash, stop. Leave the Psycho Pirate alone. Captain Adam says, The Ray's right. The poor man's been driven insane. Can't a man plead with an empty superhero costume anymore? Yeah, they did it over the Green Goblin, did it? Give him a break. It's true. <laughs> Superman, the, Superman of Earth-1 goes, that, <laughs> he observes, he's a brilliant observation. Right. Uh, that's Barry's uniform, isn't it? Kid Flash replies, it's not fair that he died alone. He was a good man, the best everything. I, I am, I owe to him. And then Lady Quark finds something among the rubble. Yeah, she says... What's this? A ring with some sort of lightning insignia on it? Does this mean anything to you? Or does it belong to the Tampa Bay Baseball Club? That might be it. <laughs> Could be. His flash ring, where he kept his uniform until he needed it. It's really over now, isn't it? Actually, all we've established right now is that he's naked. This is true. I don't know. <laughs> now, enough of this sad stuff. Pariah says the time is nigh. Yeah, who else? Who better than to stop the sadness but Pariah? Mm -hmm. He says... Hurry, I feel an overpowering concentration of evil directly ahead of us. Hurry before it's too late. Uh, I think it might be too late. 
You whimpering fool, it's already too late. See, I thought so. From the moment you stepped foot on Quard, you sealed your own fate. This is the day the universe dies. The anti-monitor looms tremendous before our heroes, a smoking, crackling energy just surrounding him. Uh, over in Atlantis and Earth-1, Aquaman and his pals are fighting off more shadow people, and in the process, Laurie Lamaris is killed by one of them. There's that. Uh. In, in fact, all around the world, heroes are fighting valiantly against the shadow monsters, and... There's a couple we haven't yet met, Chris. Hey! We got uh, Adrian Chance is the Vigilante, and he first appeared in the new Teen Titans Annual number 2, 1983, by Wolfman and Perez. He's the New York City District Attorney, and his family was killed by mobsters, so now he dresses up in a ski outfit to pummel criminals, and kill them too, actually. He does. Yeah. We also have uh, Shade the Changing Man. He first appeared in Shade the Changing Man, number one, June 1977, cover date by Steve Ditko. A fugitive from the militant planet Meta in another dimension, Rack Shades was, uh, was powered by a stolen Miracle Vest, named for its inventor, which protected him with a force field and enabled him to project the illusion of becoming a monster. And then there's Prince Ra-Man, also known as Mindmaster. He first appeared in House of Secrets number 73, July 1965 cover, by Bob Haney and Bernard Bailey. Originally a bear Doctor Strange ripoff named Mark Merlin, he got, he got killed in the dimension of Ra and then reincarnated as Prince Ra-Man, who is essentially also a bear ripoff of Doctor Strange. Here you go. We got we got the second Clayface, Matt Hagen. He first showed up in Detective Comics number 298. That's December 1961 cover by Bill Finger and Sheldon Moldoff. Uh, he finds a radioactive pool of water in a cave that makes him malleable enough to take any shape. But this ability must be regularly replenished. Mm-hmm. Now, over in Salem, the sorcerers keep trying to do their thing, whatever that was in that pit. I'm not sure. Uh, caption says, Steel wills lock in concentration. Powers long dormant ignite with arcane life. New Salem, outside in the dark, comes the brightest of lights. We pop back over to New York, and the Huntress is crushed by rubble. Yeah, Robin of Earth 2 is trying to pull her free while shadow demons continue to swarm around them. Yes, Mary Marvel calls out, Cole, separate them from the demons. She says, don't know if I can, Mary Marvel, but I'm sure going to try. And so Cole erects a crystal barrier between the heroes and the shadow dudes, hoping to buy some time. But the crystal barrier, it does nothing. <laughs> Mary Marvel goes, good heavens, nothing stops those demons. Oh no, oh no. And in the skies above, the thundercloud's wail shatters the scarlet night. That means they're dead, right? Yeah, we're pretty sure. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> we, we hop back over to Salem, and they're doing that thing still. And it looks like it's working, whatever it is. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Thunder thinks to himself, Don't know why I'm so scared, after all. We got magicians and sorcerers and guys who could probably make gold out of Big Macs. So why is it even, why is it even my toenails are shaking? It appears first over Salem, then spreading in an ever-widening spiral over all the Earth, slithering outward into the dark toward the Anti-Monitor's demons. This energy is the collective force of all the sorcerers, and it rises high over the world. And then the screams begin, a swirling, catawalling, catawalling screech as the sorceress power electrifies the air. What is heard is the squeal of the shadow demons as the energy cuts through them like finely edged razors. 
So yeah, this uh, green energy leaks from Dr. Fate's tower and encircles the entire Earth. Thousands of these shadow demons, hundreds in each country, are painfully wrenched into space, their protests and squeals unheeded, until at last they find themselves imprisoned within a shell of burning pyro sorcery. They are gone, but their deeds are not undone. Lives have been lost. And hey, would you look at that? It, it appears that Mary Marvel made it out of that crystalline death dome. And the other folks don't. We don't see them. <laughs> but more, many more, have been saved. Back to Quad, and heroes are attacking the Anti-Monitor in unison. And just like a couple issues ago, it's hilarious, because he's like 500 times the size <laughs> of like, any of his antagonists. I mean, they're, they're, like, they're like bees, right? They're like That's annoying, yeah. pestering bees to him, yeah. <laughs> Now, Superman thinks to himself that their only job here is to distract the Anti-Monitor. And I can't help but to think that thought is for our benefit. Yeah, it, it seems very incongruous, <laughs> but okay. Now, Harbinger, Alexander Luther, and Dr. Light watch this battle from a floating rock right next to a giant black sun. The impatient Dr. Light says, What are we waiting for, Harbinger? We're all anxious to begin! Alexander Luther replies, Everything's in position. Harbinger says, the Anti-Monitor is feeding on that star to give him power. Dr. Light, the Monitor created you for a purpose. We're about to see that fulfilled. Your power is to absorb solar energy and convert it for use. We're between a binary star, but one should provide the power to do what we need. You want me to absorb a sun's energy? I, I don't know if I can, but I have more power than I believe possible. And I have to use that power for good. Leave me, please. <laughs> Dr. Light is a changed person from the harsh and cruel Dr. Kimio Hoshi we met several issues ago. Right. She uh, starts sucking up that sun's energy with her powers, and the anti-monitor notices. What's happening? My power's being drained. Now Alexander Luther turns like semi-visible. The shadow areas start to look like outer space. That was an old, mm. old school comic. I think Ditko invented that. Uh, hmm. Starts draining the anti-monitor's anti-matter energy, and I say that five times fast. And if, <laughs> is this what keeps happening to my cell phone? I because my thing, I swear to God, I have to charge it like three times a day now. Is it the anti-matter energy is draining? It might just be. I need to return it. Yeah. <laughs> I've told you time and time again, I cannot be destroyed. You will die. Then your world and your very universe will follow you into oblivion. I will tolerate no further defeats. Now comes Pariah's part in all this, which is, <laughs> which is just to send Negative Woman into the fray. He says, ready for your turn, Negative Woman. Pariah, do I have a choice? Please hurry. The pain is overwhelming. I, I can't keep absorbing all this energy. Negative Woman's negative form streaks toward the Anti-Monitor and binds it up in her weird radioactive ability. The Anti-Monitor is sort of looking brown. He's staggering. The drain on his power must be terrible. Keep it up. We can't falter. Not even for a moment. And Firestorm goes, I'm exhausted. This is too much. Too hard. Nevertheless, each hero trains their blastable powers of the Anti-Monitor without wavering. Then, there's a great explosion. He's fallen! Dr. Light, do it now! Dr. Light is relieved to expend some of her solar energy and focus it into the Anti-Monitor. He gets blasted with an R. 
For just a moment, the Anti-Monitor's body explodes with light, his every internal organ burning through armor and flesh. Ew. He is slammed into the ground, his body smashing through stone and rock as if it were water. And Psycho Pirate says, Ding dong, the Wicked Witch is dead. He's dead. He's really dead. Talk about happiness. Talk about delight. Talk about joy. Captain Adam says, That's it. He's dead. It's over. Firestorm goes, So fast? Just like that? Heck, if my knees weren't still knocking, I'd say I was almost disappointed. Superman of Earthbound goes, I know. I was expecting more satisfaction. Uh, you can direct all complaints to Mr. Marv Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Alexander Luther, now a soaring black figure in the sky, he has some good news. With the power I absorb from the anti-monitor, added to my own, I can pry open a space between the positive and negative negative universes, large enough to slide through the Earth and return it to its natural plane. But my power's not infinite, and I can't keep the pathway open for long. You must hurry, though. Otherwise, we and our world will remain in this anti- antimatter universe forever. I mean, it doesn't really seem that bad, just the stars are red, you know? With the, anti- with the anti-monitor gone, what's the problem? Everything seems okay to me. Uh, <laughs> Alexander Luther sort of expands his body and creates a human-shaped portal for the Earth to slip through. The strain and the drain of power are beyond belief. Hurry, we must slip through the rift before it closes. And then all the heroes and crazy old psycho pirate pack it up and head through the portal. But we see a glint in the anti-monitor's eye as they leave. <laughs> This bundle of shadow demons behind being held by that green energy, they're absorbed through the portal and into the anti-monitor, and he's awake again. Fools, I have absorbed the power of antimatter demons. Once again, I'm indestructible. Don't stop! We must push through the portal! There's no time! Hurry! Wonder Woman goes, Pariah, we have to stop him. I cannot be stopped, human. I no longer care about your puny world. Your universe is of no more interest to me. But you humans, you have thwarted my every move. I swear all the power at my command shall be used to destroy you. And then the anti-monitor barfs out a huge pink beam (laughs) that seems to incinerate Wonder Woman. Uh, Pariah says, Wonder Woman! Great Krypton, he killed her Just like he killed Karen (laughs) (laughs) Dude, you gotta stop dropping that You know, come on (laughs) I don't care about my my life I don't care about anything other than stopping him And destroying him Uh, Firestorm's rescued Kid Flash and Psycho Pirate Before the Anti-Monitor's beam could get them But they're both unconscious I'll fly him to the positive matter universe Then pop back to lend an atomically powered hand No, stay there. I can handle this myself. Lady Quark says, Not as long as I am here, Superman! And Superman of Earth 2 says, Both of you can forget it. Sorry, but this is the only way. Earth 2 Superman knocks both Lady Quark and Earth 1 Superman for a loop with a single punch. Superman of Earth 1 goes, What? Lady Quark says, Ah! And then Superman of Earth 2 says, You people have too much to live for. I don't, not any longer. In our reborn universe, my Krypton never existed. That means I don't exist. And I don't want to. Not without the woman I love. Take them back to Earth. And stay there. Earth 2 Superman dumps the two off with that anomalous Superboy from Earth Prime. I know what needs to be done. Do what I say, and no arguments. 
Superboy doesn't seem to be arguing. Yeah, he he actually takes off pretty quickly. I think he's, uh, I think he's already turned around and left when he, you know, yeah, he's light years away. Uh, <laughs> Anti Monitor goes, "You stayed behind, Kryptonian? Then you were the greatest fool I've ever known." Ugly, you may be right, but somebody had to clean up the garbage. Guess I was elected. Dude, you volunteered like like less than a minute ago. I know. I think Grandpa <laughs> forgot his medicine again, Chris. This is, <laughs> yikes. Then you will die, and I will be your kid. Uh, terrible pain burning through me. What have you done to me? Now the anti-monitor is surrounded by a green energy, and Superman of Earth 2 thinks to himself, Our plan worked. The shadow demons were created out of the anti-monitor's own power. We knew he'd absorb them when, them when our attack began. But the demons were changed by the sorcerers. Instead of repowering the anti-monitor, they're destroying him from inside. Earth 2 Superman is pounding away at the anti-monitor with some effect, uh, but notes that he is still too strong. Meanwhile, Superboy pauses before the portal to the positive matter universe, which is rapidly closing. He thinks to himself, but what's waiting for me there? Nothing. And if I go, Superman will be fighting that thing alone. He needs me, and I need him too. So Superboy chucks both Earth-1 Superman and Lady Quark through the tiny portal. Thinks to himself, sorry for treating you two so roughly, but I know you'll forgive me. I have to stay here and help him. You'll be safe with all the others. Goodbye, Earth. Goodbye. Superboy, I, I cannot hold the rift open any longer. Hurry. No, Alex. I'm staying here. Go back by yourself. And Alex thinks to himself, I, I cannot. The rift had, been, had to be sealed from this side. Wait, I sense something wrong. A surge of power. Something is happening to me. What is it? What? What is it? It's dark side. Uh, he's watching the proceedings through the through Alexander Luther and notes that while Superman is very strong, he's not strong enough to defeat the Anti-Monitor. Superman possesses power beyond comprehension, but even he is not mighty enough to defeat the Anti-Monitor alone. You humans were right to come to me. Your Alex Luther is a conduit between universes. My science permits me to gaze through his eyes. And just then, Superboy shows up to help help, help Earth to Superman. He says, Superman, I'm here to help! You cannot help anyone, boy. You can only die. And the Anti-Monitor blasts some yellow eye beams at Superboy, which sends him reeling. Superman of Earth 2 thinks to himself, That blast hurt Superboy, but it didn't kill him. That means the Anti-Monitor's weakening. I have to keep up the pressure, and smashing these two asteroids into him is the best way I know how. Get zero points for creativity. Yeah. <laughs> now this this flings the anti-monitor two more than two million miles until he crashes onto another moon or planetoid or something, something. like that. Yeah. Uh, Superman of Earth two notes that he's vowed never to take a life, but this time is special. And so he crushes the anti-monitor with a big rock. The end, he said things to himself. <laughs> That's it. He's not getting up, and I'm not picking up any heartbeat. Superman flies over to Superboy, recuperating on an asteroid. You okay, pal? I yeah, you were incredible. Really incredible. I don't believe I'm still alive. Thank heaven you are. Okay, let's return to Alex and figure out what to do next. 
Then, the anti-monitor, looking like a burnt skeleton, bursts free of the rock once more. Oh, I'm not yet finished yet. I have not yet destroyed you. Uh, you should never give up on your dreams. You must die and I must kill you. Absorb all the energy my universe provides. I will kill you, even if I must die myself. I cannot let you live another moment. Die, die, die. The Anti-Monitor let, lets loose this torrent of energy that seems to rip through Earth to Superman and Superboy. Then the Anti-Monitor grabs the two bodily and crushes them in his fist, and Darkseid is still watching all this happen. I cannot allow him his victory. Should he regain his strength, Apocalypse may be his next target. Thus, let him suffer the wrath of Darkseid. And then with the push of a button, a massive surge of blue energy pours forth from Alexander Luther's eyes. And when it strikes the anti-monitor, the effect is complete devastation. Yep. Already weakened, he is swept off the planetoid and thrown into the still flaming star. And he screams as his body drives deeper, ever deeper, into the binary sun's burning core. Rip Hunter and his crew thank Darkseid for his help. But you know, Darkseid doesn't really do thanks. Not his thing. Today, Apocalypse and Earth faced a mutual threat. Cooperation was essential for survival. Go and leave my world, but be warned. When we next meet, it shall be as enemies. Now, over in the antimatter universe, Earth 2, Superman, Superboy, and Alexander Luther convene on an asteroid. Superman says, What now, Alex? Any chance to reopen the portal? Not to Earth, at least. I don't think so. Personally, I don't mind remaining here, but I'm so very sorry you two are stuck here with me. He snores like a wildebeest. <laughs> that may not be. And then out of nowhere comes a booming voice. Superman! <laughs> <laughs> Superman! Alex, I, I don't believe it! From the binary sun comes a massive fireball <laughs> with an angry face on it. Superman, I will not die until you die with me. That's all he can stand. He can't stand no more. <laughs> Superman says, can't anything stop him. His body is destroyed, but he still comes back. He's a fireball, a living, killing fireball. No more. Nothing matters any longer. I want to see him destroyed. I have had enough. Earth 2 Superman flies over to the fireball and connects with a punch that shatters the anti-monitor fireball with a scrum. He thinks to himself, he's exploded, fallen back into the sun. Not even he could survive that last punch. Great Krypton, the sun's imploding, with the anti-monitor still inside. Only the shock waves are rippling outward. It's destroying everything it touches. Everything will be disintegrated. Everything for a million miles in all directions. It's over now. I guess we just wait for the waves to take us too. There is no way we can fly far enough away in time. Superboy says, I, I don't think I mind dying. Not now. We fought the good fight. We succeeded. I only wish Lois had lived to see this. She is alive, Superman. Alive and safe. What? 
Alexander <laughs> Luther opens a portal within, within his body like he did before, and from out of it, Lois steps forth. I knew how the universe would be reborn. I knew the consequences. And I could not let you, of all the heroes, suffer in that loss. Lois Lane of Earth 2 goes, I was inside him, Clark, in a place that was so beautiful. Hey, what are you doing with my woman, Luther? Come on. <laughs> right? I never thought I'd see you again. I can't take you back to Earth, but I am a tunnel to into that other place. Come into me. <laughs> we will all go there. I mean, you know, come on. What, what's going on here? Anyway, oh. we can be together always. I want to be wherever you are. I'm coming, too. Better to go into the unknown than die here alone. But it is 18 plus. I'm sorry, Superboy. You can't. Sorry, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Do not worry, young Superboy. Where we go now, there will be no fear. Only peace. Everlasting peace. So, uh, Switzerland, right? Probably. I can't imagine where else they would go. <laughs> it, Harbinger says, It is over at long last. And though much of what has happened defies explanation, we have been able to determine some truths. Fact one, the apparent death of Wonder Woman. When the monitor's weakened death beam struck the Amazon princess, she did not die. She was somehow sent back through time, devolving as she did, from woman to girl to infant to her original state of creation. And three Bob Haney characters. Uh, that's uh, mostly clay, maybe some mud. I like that they, they went through the, uh, the whole list of uh, <laughs> the roster, Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Time continued in reverse. Her clay spread itself again across Paradise Island. And the Amazons were returned to the Grecian Isle they had fled. Fact two, Mount Olympus. Zeus looked down from on high and saw a grave misjustice had been dealt. Earth choosed Wonder Woman. Beautiful as Aphrodite, wise as Athena, swifter than Mercury, and stronger than Hercules, had no world to call her own. The king of the gods knew her great powers had come from the gods. She could not be abandoned. Apollo's chariot was dispatched to bring Princess Diana and her earth-born husband to Olympus, and there they would live happily ever after. Hey, we almost finished the series without further complicating Wonder Woman's continuity. Look yeah, at that. I definitely know less about her than I did when I started. Uh, Harbinger speaks again. Fact three. The deaths. The bodies of Robin, Huntress, and Cole were never found. Still, there were graveside services. They would not be forgotten. In Atlantis, they mourned Lori Lamaris and Tula, who had called herself Aqua Girl. Across the breadth of the world, time was spent remembering those now gone. And we've got Robin, Huntress, Aquagirl, and Lori Lamaris, and Cole. Right. The infamous <laughs> Cole. Who, who yes. could ever forget Cole? <laughs> now there's a panel of Earth-1 Superman and Power Girl walking forlornly to the Fortress of Solitude, thinking of Kara, no doubt. I think that's all Superman can think of at this point. I think so. Harbinger says, but the dead would live on in the memories of those still living. Yes, there were deaths, but there were also births and rebirths. Yolanda Montez as Wildcat sits on a rooftop reading a newspaper with the headline Green Arrow Among Dead and the subheader Wildcat Hawkman Hawk Wildman Wow Wildcat <laughs> Hawkman Among Wounded uh, over at Jay Garrick's lab he's running some tests on Wally 
Seems that by getting blasted by the anti-monitor, it burned out whatever disease was causing Wally to die when he uses his powers. Yep. And this is actually a plot point that preceded Crisis on Infinite Earths. It's why one of the reasons he kind of took a leave of absence from the Teen Titan. And the fastest I can now run is a speed of sound? That's great, Jay. Really great. Which makes what I have to say meaning more, even more meaningful. Barry died saving us. I want the Flash, his Flash, remembered. I began my super speed career wearing his costume. I only changed it to establish my own identity. I don't need that anymore. While he slips on Barry Allen's ring, ejects his red costume, and puts it on. From this day forth, the Flash lives again. And so it goes. From death comes life. And each life brings hope for a brighter, happier future. With the end of the multiverse and the beginning of this new Earth, there is now one consistent past. But what of the future? Those divergent happenings that would not have been explained. The full tale will be told another time. Yeah, by uh, Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway in 1994. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but some facts are known. Events have been altered. No single Earth's future remained intact. Here we learn that there will be no great disaster, but a lost child will be discovered in a bunker called Command D. He's found by General Horatio Tomorrow of the Planeteers, and the child will be named Thomas. Mm, well, Jonah Hex is now sent to a crazy dystopian future to practice his gunslinging. That doesn't last very long. No, the sales weren't very good. No. Uh, the Green Lantern Corps is all messed up. You'll have to read their books for an explanation, apparently. Yeah, they'll tell you uh, here, but things change. Now, Harbinger has been recording all of this atop a snowy mountain dressed in a pink fur-lined parka. Uh, Lady Quark and Pariah show up to join her. Lila, are you done yet? There is so much to write about, so many things that need explaining, but I still haven't researched it all. Continuity cop-out copyright DC Comics 1986 When I complete the monitor tapes I must be certain of my facts Lady Quark says Lila, we want you to come with us Help us explore our new world You will come, please The monitor once told me That life must never stand still It must constantly move ahead We should never forget the past but we should always look to the future, because that's where we're going to spend the rest of our lives. I don't know about you guys, but I can't wait to see what tomorrow will bring. Now the trio, silhouetted against a rosy dawn sky, shuffle off while a faded image of the monitor, smiling weirdly, yeah. uh, is seen high above them. I don't think he smiled at all before, right? I was like, I don't think so. Oh, he could He's... smile, all right. Sure. Now our epilogue takes place in Arkham Asylum, where we learn that our friend the Psycho Pirate remembers everything that happened, including the Anti-Monitor. Yeah, figures into a run of Animal Man later, he, but a caption does, says... Yeah. Not the end, the beginning of the future. And that is the conclusion of issue 12 in the entire 12 issue maxi series of Crisis at Infinite Earths. But we still, of course, have a couple of crossover <laughs> issues. Why not? Yeah, throw them in there. Uh, two crossover issues. One of them is Green Lantern number 198. This actually will help flesh out what the heck is happening with Green Lantern. Uh, March 1986 cover date by Steve Englehart and Joe Staten. The Green Lantern Corps and Guy Gardner's villainous posse do battle right near Cord. 
and when the anti-monitor dies, the fighting just stops and all's fine after that. Mm -hmm. Give you one guess what happens in Superman number 415. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> about Kara. Mm. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's coveted January 1986 by Carrie Bates and Kurt Swan. Supergirl's ex-husband, Salcor, who she married while suffering from amnesia, steals into the Fortress of Solitude to retrieve their holographic wedding, wedding album. He and Superman reminisce over Kara's goodness. And that's pretty much it. That's all she wrote for that. Uh, and that's it. I, even, I almost can't believe we actually got through the comics. Uh, yeah. It's been quite a long run, folks. And we're going to talk more about our personal feelings and experience with this series in the second half. But for now, I need to go give my voice a little break. Don't you, Chris? <laughs> yeah, yes. I need to go clear my throat for a little while. So we're going to take a little quick break, and we will come back with the second half of the show. Welcome back to episode 54 of the Cosmic Treadmill. We just went through the entire issue number 12 of Crisis and in Infinite Earths, and now we're going to wrap up a sort of truncated version of uh, Creator Bios here. Again, we have longer ones in our Teen Titans episode. You remember the number of it, right? You always do. 25. 25, right. That's <laughs> why it's easy. Uh, yeah, so 25 is the Teen Titans. We read three Teen Titans books, including the first appearance, right? We do the Brave uh, and the Bold first appearance, we do Who is Donna Troy, and we do the Judas Contract. Yeah, I think that features our longest bios on Wolfman and Perez. But just to wrap Probably. it up, tell you what happened. The conclusion for Marv is that he wrote Adventures of Superman, which was renamed from Superman post-crisis, beginning with number 424, January 1987, cover date and drawn by Jerry Ordway. 
A disagreement over a proposed rating system led to Marv being relieved of his editorial position in 1987. Then he would write the Batman Year 3 storyline in Batman 436 to 439. That was August to September 1989. He created Tim Drake, the third Robin, here. Uh, in the early 1990s, Wolfman worked at Disney Comics, and as the 1990s wore on, Wolfman turned to writing primarily for animated series, something he dabbled in a little bit throughout the 80s. Before the release of the Blade motion picture, which was August 1988, distributed by New Line Cinema, Wolfman su sued Marvel Characters Incorporated over ownership of all characters he had created for Marvel Comics, and he lost the case. Go figure. In 2007, Wolfman put, published a novel through iBooks based on Crisis and Infinite Earths. Rather than following the original plot, he created a new story starring the Barry Allen Flash that takes place during the original Crisis story. So it's like, from his point of view, apparently, which I think is kind of interesting. Sure. Most, most recently, Marv wrote a few issues of Superboy and a six-issue Raven miniseries for DC Comics, and he's married to Noel Watkins, and they live in Southern California. Across the table, we got George Perez. Uh, he inked the final, with quotes, issue of Superman, this <laughs> issue number 423, uh, cover dated September 1986, uh, and that is part one of Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, which was written by Alan Moore with pencils by Kurt Swan. Uh, he's also one of the artists on the landmark jam of Batman number 400, mm -hmm. this uh, October 1986 cover. Uh, Wolfman and Perez teamed up to, again to produce the history of the DC Universe, which we will be uh, getting to Literally. shortly. Uh, <laughs> and that was two prestige format issues in 1986. Uh, George inked the Jurassic Park comic book adaptation of the movie for Topps Comics in 1993. The uh, He was inking over pencils of Gil Kane. Um, in February 1998, George began penciling the third volume of the Avengers. This is the Heroes Return Avengers, mm -hmm. with uh, Kurt Busiek writing, and he would stay on the title for three years. Kurt would uh, stick around for another two after that. Uh, after leaving the Avengers, he and Busiek produced the long-awaited JLA Avengers intercompany crossover. Uh, that finally saw print in late 2003. We'll jump up to the New 52 in 2011. Uh, George wrote the Superman series. This is uh, you know, non-adjective, just Superman. Right. Uh, and that had art, with, art by uh, Jesus Marino and Nicola Scott, and he stuck around for six issues. In uh, July 2012, he explained that his departure from Superman was a reaction to the level of editorial oversight he had experienced. Uh, this included inconsistent reasons given for rewrites of his material, uh, the inability of editors to explain to him basic aspects of the New 52. Yeah. We're, we're still waiting on that. Uh, you know, on the New 52 set, Superman status quo, uh, such as whether his adoptive parents were still alive, uh, and also restrictions imposed by having to be consistent with action comics. That was the uh, Grant Morrison's series that was set five years earlier than Superman. Right. Um, and that situation was complicated by the fact that Grant Morrison was not so forthcoming about his plans. And that he was writing it to begin with. I think, you know, trying to, <laughs> trying to tie into Grant Morrison is probably its own neat trick to do. So, uh, Imagine. yeah, th there's a long interview uh, where George Perez talks about that online. Uh, I'll try to remember to link it in the show notes, but it's not hard to find if you were to do a search New 52 George Perez. That's what you're going to hit every time. Now, Crisis on Infinite Earths was a big deal, not just for DC, but for the industry. It kind of, uh, you know, made a lot of people sit up and notice of, you know, a lot of different things. Um, so we're going to have some quotes from 
people in, in the industry at the time. Most of them are from Marv Wolfman, as you might imagine. He's probably been asked the most about Crisis of Infinite Earths. Probably. But there's still there's some other commentary here. So the intention, of course, with Crisis and Infinite Earths was to fix some continuity conflicts and streamline the DCU to be more appealing to new readers. Uh, in the afterword to the 1998 trade pa- paperback collection of Crisis, Dick Giordano said, Did Crisis work as a story? Yep. Did it neaten up our universe? You bet. Did it give DC Comics a launch pad to the future? Of course. Did we take advantage of all the opportunities presented by the dramatic conclusion of the landmark series called Crisis and Infinite Earths? Well, yes and no. A full answer would take too much space here, and I don't want to spoil our celebration. There you go. Uh, Despite there being little promotion, the series sold incredibly well. In a 2011 interview with The Village Voice, Marv said, Back in 1985, with the exception of the new Teen Titans, which I also created with George Perez, wink wink, uh, and sold like a Marvel book, uh, Marvel's sales vastly eclipsed DC's almost 5 to 1. In my mind, that meant people loved comics but were ignoring DC. Something had to be done. Crisis came out of that to show the readers who had not looked at a DC comic in years that there were great heroes there. Crisis sold very much like a, like Marvel and brought hundreds of thousands of readers to DC for the first time. So it was very successful. As for doing that at Marvel, there was no need at the time. Marvel had been created many years after DC, so the Marvel books were already being aimed at the, a new generation. There was no need to recreate them. Yeah, and you know, doing research for Crisis, one of the problems I've had is finding promotional material, publicity stuff for, you know, there just wasn't a ton of it out there. Uh, There were house ads, there were some... And all uh, the ads had different titles for the book, too. Yeah, going back, (laughs) I mean, it went back for a long time, so it it was interesting. Relatively speaking, it really was not a a hyped, a super hyped event, but it had a big effect. Uh, Howard the Duck creator Steve Gerber said that Crisis and Infinite Earths got virtually no promotion. How many handouts did you see? How many posters did you see in people's windows? How much information was really distributed to the press, and how much was gotten just by individual reporters going to Marv Wolfman and the artist George Perez? Hmm. Editor-in-chief Dick Giordano was the driving force behind killing Superman. Uh, Supergirl. Boom. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. God, uh, we jumped ahead of you, you say. Uh, <laughs> he called her Superman with boobs at one time. Uh, in back issue number 34, that's uh, the that's the Tomorrow's uh, that's right. magazine, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, Giordano is asked if he regrets having killed Supergirl. He says, not a bit. Supergirl was created initially to take advantage of the high Superman sales, and not much thought was put into her creation. She was created essentially as a female Superman. With time, writers and artists improved on her execution, but she never really did add anything to the Superman mythos, at least not for me. Yeah, that same issue, there's a photo of an original memo handwritten on like a DC stationery with the bullet logo right at the top. From Giordano to DC's president, Jeanette Kahn, that reads, Jeanette, Biggie, can we kill Supergirl in crisis? I must know soon. And there are four check boxes, and one's for yes, no, only if we have a new Supergirl soon, and none of the above, and it's signed, Love Dick. And Jeanette seems to have checked none of the above first, and then scribbled that out and checked yes. So it's interesting to think how that would might change, yeah. uh, change everything. Now, uh, Marv Wolfman was adamant that the heroes involved in Crisis on Infinite Earths should not remember it. The other editors felt differently. <laughs> One of them said, if the heroes don't remember the crisis, it invalidates the book. 
An exasperated Marv replies, The heroes don't buy our comics. It doesn't matter if they remember the stories. The readers do, and they'll remember them. Let's not complicate things. But Marv was outvoted, and I'm not sure that would have uncomplicated things anyway. It's an interesting thought. We'll we'll, we'll address that. We have a little space later (laughs) where we're going to be jawing (laughs) off about it. But, yeah, I definitely found that to be an interesting take. Uh, But he he holds fast to it. In an Mm -hmm. interview with Marv Wolfman in Readout magazine, he said, The only differences in what I do today as opposed to 1985 are, one, I would have insisted all characters had no memory of the crisis, which was my intent, but I was overruled by the other editors at the time. Two, I would have insisted all books began over with issue number one, starting in January 1985, which was the original, which was the original intent. Number three, I would have stayed in New York to make sure all this was done instead of immediately moving to Los Angeles. If this, that had all happened then, nobody would have been able to veer from what we accomplished. Under the new and current DC editorial, they have worked hard to fix what was done wrong by those who were there immediately after crisis, but the mistakes never should have been made in the first place. But the crisis in and of itself did the job it was intended to do. What followed wasn't always good. In an interview with The Village Voice, Marv reiterated, When I first pitched Crisis, my belief was, at the end, that a new DC universe would be formed. All the books would begin with a number one, starting with new origins for each. And Crisis would never be mentioned again because, as I set it up, the Earth would be reformed at its origin. And so what had just been had never happened as a new Earth was created. Uh, The Crisis itself, therefore, never happened, though its effects would last. Uh, But ultimately, the powers that be decided they didn't have enough people to pull that off, and so the crisis was consistently referred to, which I always felt was a mistake. Uh, It was publisher Jeanette Kahn's decision to kill the Flash, which Marv disagreed with as well. In an interview with Tomorrow's Publishing, Marv said, I think she just felt it was time to rekindle the Flash character. It's been 25 years since we began planning Crisis, so I don't quite remember all the reasons that were provided for his death. I know I disagreed with the decision. He's probably the only character whose death in Crisis I disagreed with, because he was the first Silver Age character. I understood, though, that Barry Allen was a fairly boring character in terms of his personality. By the 1980s, comic books had progressed to have stronger characterization, but The Flash was presenting the whole, that whole convoluted prison story, and here he's talking about the trial of The Flash, which did run for a long time, right, Chris? Uh, from oh, yeah. The Flash, 323 to 350, July 83 to October 1985 cover dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marv continues, he thinks that may have hurt the character in everyone's mind. DC believed at that point that The Flash couldn't be redeemed. I disagreed, but I was told it had to be done, so I tried to make the death work within the story and be an emotional part of the story. I remember this was in the days before like people got their hands on detailed solicitations. Even the retailers didn't have... The details they have now about the story sure. So the surprises in each issue Actually surprise people uh, In that same interview he goes on to say In my original notes I had Barry die In the next issue after Supergirl Because I wanted to surprise everyone No one would think that we would kill Two major characters in back to back issues Which I remember was the reaction Like no one mm-hmm. thought it would happen One two like that Sure. Uh, In the introduction to the Crisis on Infinite Earths trade collection, uh, Marv would write, We always liked Barry, so when we were asked to kill him, we planted a secret plot device in the story that could bring him back if someone wanted to. Don't look for it, but if you corner me at a convention and I'm in a good mood, I'll tell you what it is. 
It's probably the worst thing to write in an introduction because everybody asked him what Ever, it was. Courted him forever, and he gets in <laughs> yes. every interview now. He's like, oh. <laughs> and so uh, around 2005 or so, uh, on his website, he finally comes clean. He says, uh, and this is paraphrasing because if we included all the text here, we'd be reading for quite a long time. Okay. <laughs> I came up with the idea of Flash moving back through time, flashing into our dimension even as he was dying. So, thought I, what if Barry was plucked out of the time stream at one of those moments he appeared. What if that meant from this point on, Barry knew that he was literally living on borrowed time, that at any moment the time stream could close in on him and take him to his inevitable death? What would this mean for Barry? One, from now on, the fastest man alive would literally be running for his life. Two, he knew he didn't have much time left and believed, as Barry would, that he had to devote it to helping others. Three, this meant Barry would become driven and desperate to help others with each passing tick of the clock. I felt this new revitalized attitude might be enough to make the formerly dull police scientist into someone who has now had to push himself as he never had to before. I was hoping that this would make the character interesting enough to live. Uh, that is an interesting point, too. It would definitely change the stakes. That's basically sure. the thing in uh, Busiek's Astro City. There's a character, Silver Agent, I think is his name. And that's essentially what happened, is that he died in the future, but on the way he pops in and out, and he's, he's always showing up when uh, people need him most when there's the biggest disasters. Gotcha. But anyway, what might have been, of course, but all, all we can talk about really is what is, and the things that Crisis and Infinite Earth did change. Uh, there were a bunch of new characters introduced in this series, and we got the mon Monitor and the Anti-Monitor who came and went, or did they? Mm. Mm? Uh, we got Harbinger, Lila, Pariah, Alexander Luther Jr., Lady Quark, the Yolanda Montez Wildcat, and Kim Yohoshi, Dr. Light. And we also get to officially welcome our Charlton heroes. We got Blue Beetle, Captain Adam, The Question, Peter Cannon, dot, 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 Thunderbolt, Peacemaker, and Judo Master. Yeah, I only mentioned the ones that I know for sure at least had a limited series. There, there are yeah, because because uh, Nightshade shows up in Suicide Squad. I oh, all right. So yeah. there, there were others, but uh, yeah, they're, they're all folded and they're all owned, I believe, at this point by DC. But let's not forget the folks that died. We got Alexander Luther Sr. of Earth Three and his life, Lois Lane Luther, Alexei Luther of Earth Two, Angleman, Aqua Girl, aka Tula, the Bug-eyed Bandit. Uh, the second Clayface, Matt Hagen, the Crime Syndicate of America. Those are the ones from Earth Three, including Ultraman, Superwoman, Owlman, Power Ring, and Johnny Quick. Uh, Dove, Don Hall, Farmer Boy, aka Flower of Sergeant Rock's Easy Company, and Barry Allen Flash. The Green Arrow of Earth Two, the Helena Wayne Huntress, Icicle, Immortal Man, the Justice Alliance of Earth D, Kid Psycho of the Legion of Superheroes. Our favorite, Cole, uh, Lori Lamaris, Lord Volt from Earth-6, the losers including Johnny Cloud, Gunner, Sarge, and Captain Storm, Maldor the Dark Lord, it almost rhymes, uh, Mira Master, Nighthawk, Prince Raman, Princess Fern of Earth-6, Simon, Robin of Earth-2, the Shaggy Man, uh, Starman, this is the Prince Gavin version, Sunburst, Supergirl, the Ten-Eyed Man. And so what's new in the universe? How did it change? We're going to go over that DC uh, history, of the history of the DC universe, right? I, mean, I got the title mm -hmm. totally wrong, but this is sort of the, the main beats. Uh, and this was a difficult section because I, I want to tell people 
you know what was it's hard to know where and, to stop and what yeah. did it take but and you know it's funny the same thing with the bios chris and i both said this going through the bios like a lot of these characters they became something after crisis up you know especially the villains a lot of them were ah you know they liked boxes and he became box man that's you know what i mean that really was it so uh, anyway but there's some some beats of what changed in the universe after crisis was the big one was there's no more multiverse but one universe with one Earth, one Krypton, one Thanagar, etc. Some folks made it from those other Earths to the new Earth One. Many did not. Uh, the Guardians left Oa with their new girlfriends, the Zamorans, which actually takes place in the Green Lantern comic. And the Green Lantern Corps re- reorganized with Hal Jordan leading an Earth-based contingent of Lanterns. We got uh, Clark Kent. He uh, didn't begin manifesting his powers till puberty, and he never became Superboy, uh, since Byrne was the guy steering that ship. Yeah. <laughs> and Superboy has always been kind of a bugbear for him. Uh, he says that growing up, he was he could never become invested in reading a Superboy comic book because, you know, the never the ending was never in question. We all know that Superboy will survive to become Superman. Uh, if you're a even uh, casual visitor of Burned Robotics, you'll probably see the phrase Superboy story to refer to stories of this type. But I mean, that's the same. Uh, we, we don't read, you don't read a comic just wondering if the main if he's gonna will die. never die. You know, there's <laughs> more to his story than that. But anyway. I... Now, this would uh, really throw a wrench into the origin of the Legion of Superheroes who formed an homage to Superboy. Uh, uh, Superman would also be Krypton's only survivor. So no Supergirl, no super pets, no super family. Right. No it's, Dex. Uh, and there were, I mean, there was yep. a time who wasn't from Krypton, I think is what right? we could say about the world. Yeah, so. Jor-El and La- Lara were the only ones that died in the explosion. <laughs> Everyone else got off. <laughs> yeah, they, they, should, they really should have uh, put them on the uh, public shuttle or whatever. Uh, there were other changes to Superman status quo as detailed in John Byrne's Man of Steel miniseries and handled largely by he and Marv Wolfman, but... That's getting ahead of the scope of this series, and we'll probably tackle that in another episode when we actually do a Man of Steel issue, I hope. Uh, it was also made apparent that Superman was not among the first superheroes to surface. The Justice Society of America were the firsts with the Silver Age heroes, which included Superman and Batman, coming later. So they are not founding members of the JSA. They were replaced by Iron Monroe and... Was there a Batman? Oh, that was animal? the Young Allies. Oh, that, that was, was a different. Sorry, thing. No, I don't know. I'm confusing things. Oh, the now. Young Young All Stars. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, there are moments in Supergirl's past, though, are retconned as having happened to Power Girl, or she was the where Supergirl would be was Power Girl, which presented a lot of its own problems since Power Girl actually had she was an existing character with a backstory of her own that was an Atlantean backstory. So yeah, they made her a descendant of Arion. They but they just sort of like uh, took that away. And now <laughs> I think she's like. I think it's back to Earth 2. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> now, uh, Wonder Woman was rebooted with a new origin handled by George Perez and Len Wein. Uh, this had her leave- leaving Themyscira in the present, nullifying all of her past adventures stretching back to 1940. Uh, the Wonder Woman of the Justice Society would be retconned as Hippolyta. Uh, this also means Diana could not have been a founding member of the Justice League of America, and she's replaced by Black Canary. Uh, while on the subject, Batman and Superman were not founding members of the League either. Right. Uh, and we're not even going to go into Donna Troy. Yeah, she's, she's got her own problems, and boy, she gets it in the 90s, boy. She, mm-hmm. she has a lot of things happen to her. Uh, but yeah, when, yeah. when marrying Terry Long is not the worst thing that ever happened to you? <laughs> yeah, really. You, you got problems. Say, you got big problems. <laughs> uh, over, as for Batman, Bruce Wayne became Batman after the murder of his parents by an unknown assailant. 
Batman's earliest days would be fleshed out in Frank Miller and Dave Mazzucchelli's Batman Year One. He also depicted early Batman as somewhat inept, kind of trying things out, prone to actual failure, which was not really a common Batman thing. And he doesn't use a gun, as the Golden Age Batman did at times in the very early uh, stories. This also cemented Selina Kyle's role as a prostitute for a while. Hmm. But again, getting ahead of ourselves with that one. Uh, we have ourselves a new Flash, and Barry is remembered as a hero who sacrificed his life to save the universe. Obviously, Wally West, we saw that happen in the book. Uh, we talked about this. Jonah Hex is sent to the far-flung post-apocalyptic future. future. Briefly. Didn't do very well. Uh, <laughs> Justice Society of America was sent to Valhalla, where they enter a potentially never-ending battle. And speaking of the Justice Society, uh, during several of the crossover issues we mentioned er, in earlier installments of our crisis coverage, we mentioned a character named Mechanique, who would appear in All-Star Squ Squadron. Well, in All-Star Squadron number 60, is August 1986 cover date, which is, it's a crisis crossover without any crisis crossover branding. Huh. Um, it's revealed that she's actually the robot Maria from Fritz Lang's film Metropolis from 1927. Wow. Because uh, Roy Thomas loves his references. <laughs> sure does, yep. Now, this issue is also special for starting in pre-crisis continuity and ending in post-crisis continuity. Uh, Mechanique had been sent back in time to affect the past and is actually keeping the effects of Crisis on Infinite Earths from becoming final. Huh. Uh, this, you know, this, the issue starts, the skies are red, and nobody knows why because it's you know World War II. Yeah. Um, now, the issue features the Justice Society and the All-Star Squadron posing for a photograph for President Roosevelt. Uh, Roosevelt had put both teams together. Um, now, the first photo features characters like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman front and center. After Mechanique allows Crisis to take hold, uh, I guess Robot Man, but not the Doom Patrol Robot Man, they lock eyes, right, right. and she remembers everything, and uh, she lets Crisis happen. Uh, you know, the sky turns from red to blue, and we see that same photo when they hand it to the president, and now it has the Freedom, freedom Fighters front and center. Uh, and our, you know, our DC Trinity plus Aquaman are nowhere to be seen. Uh, green Arrow and Speed here in both photos, but uh, that that requires too much thinking. Uh, for you us know, to we'll, we'll, we'll let them get that. That sounds like a ninety-eight percent success rate. So we'll, yeah. let, we'll let that <laughs> good go. enough for us. Sounds like a crazy, interesting uh, story. The things oh, that can wild. happen when you reboot the universe. Uh, you know, we mentioned that the Superboy not existing presented a problem for the Legion of Superheroes, but did not present the problem for DC to continue producing Legion yes. of Superheroes. They never stopped. Volume 3 of Legion of Superheroes, the Baxter one, kept chugging along right after the crisis tie-in. Uh, it was revealed that the Superboy that inspired that Legion of Superheroes was from a pocket dimension created by the Time Trapper. But again, hopefully for another episode. Yeah. Um, in a 1985 interview, Marv Wolfman stated, "What we're trying to do, if it's not restated, it, it if it's not restated, it did not happen. Uh, the beauty of the way we're ending the crisis and the way we're rebuilding everything is that all of it's gone." All of that's gone. All the dumb stuff is gone, and somebody's really going to have to go out of their way to bring it back. <laughs> it's corrective history. He doesn't know how uh, the, <laughs> strong the wills of some men are. Right. <laughs> now, he, he continues, There's a big eraser that's gone over all of it. If an editor deems a character or storyline worthy enough to bring back, okay. But I don't think we should be held responsible for past mistakes. Starting in January, he's talking 1986, we, can, we only use the past that was good. Right, and speaking of that past, luckily <laughs> yes. in 1986, they came out with 
a two-part prestige format series, Wolfman and Perez, called History of the DC Universe, and this sought to organize the new unified DC Universe timeline. It was written as though it were Harbinger's own files, or perhaps her adding to the monitor files, or monitor tapes, which would come back and bite her come millennium. You can check out episode 21 of Weird Comics History for more on that, a lot on that. It was a good one. <laughs> Some bits and pieces from the history, though. Uh, after the Big Bang, we see Oa, who we learned a bunch about during the origin of the Antimatter universe, and Curious Krona wanted to see how things began, and unwittingly introduced the Antimatter universe as a result. The Owens would create the Manhunters and ultimately the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, we got our pal Pariah, who recreates Krona's experiment, and we all know how that went. Uh, eventually, on Earth, life was primitive. Caveman Vandal Savage kills 12, man, 12 men, uh, perhaps the first murder in Earth's history. We enter Nathan Neanderthals and Cro-Magnons, such as Anthro and Kong the Untamed. Uh, the Kingdom of Atlantis, made made home by magic wielders, such as Arion. Uh, after an alien invasion, Atlantis would sink, though her people would live on under domes. Persons of Tritonis heritage would evolve into mermen, and those of Poseidonus would develop gills. Over in Egypt, the wizard Shazam endowed Black Adam with his powers, and then banished him when it was established that he was a pretty bad dude. Also, the Blue Beetle Scarab was forged via sorcery. Thousands of years later, Naboo. Following a battle of Olympus, the old gods sealed it off and created a pair of molten bodies, which would ultimately, ultimately become New Genesis and Apocalypse. Hippolyta leads the Amazons to Paradise Island following a to-do while the man, with the man-god Heracles. Now we go on to the Middle Ages. An emerald meteor resembling a lantern crashes in Tibet. Camelot is established. Enter the Shining Knight, Viking Prince, and Etrigan the Demon. Uh, Nanda Parbat is discovered. Gem World is created. Uh, Christopher Columbus thinks he discovers America, but Iraq is already there. Uh, the Manhunters return to Earth and establish a cult. Uh, we meet the Black Pirate and the Vampire Andrew Bennett. Uh, the New World. In the colonies, we meet Miss Liberty, Tomahawk, and Dan Hunter. Blue-eyed, red-haired Firehair is raised by the Blackfoot Indians. We enter Bounty Hunter, Jonah Hex. Also, our, our, our other Western pals, Batlash, Cinnamon, Scalp Hunter, and El Diablo. Uh, and it's mentioned here that old Jonah's been zapped into the, the far-flung 2050 AD. I know, we're almost there now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, World War One. enter Balloon Buster, Steve Savage, Enemy Ace, and uh, Immortal Man and Vandal Savage are still fighting one another during World War One. Then the Golden Age begins. The Church of Brother Blood is established in Baltic Zandia. In case we forgot this was a Wolfman-Perez joint, they had to get those guys in. Enter <laughs> Dr. Occult, a hero for the Depression era. Abin Sir soars as Green Lantern of Sector 2814, and Krypton explodes. A single rocket sent Earthbound in its wake. World War II enters Zatara the Magician, Crimson Avenger, and Hop Harrigan. Also, Dollman, Sandman, Steel the Indestructible Man, Jay Garrick Flash, Hawks Man and Woman, Spectre, Johnny Thunder, Our Man, Black Condor, Adam, Dr. Fate, Green Lantern, Alan Scott, Starman, and Dr. Midnight. Probably could have just said Justice Society and a few Freedom Fighters, but they want we to be are. complete there. Yes, and also the Injustice Gang, uh, December seventh, nineteen forty-one, a day that will live in infamy. <laughs> Pearl Harbor is attacked by the Japanese, and President Frank President Franklin Roosevelt assembles the All Star Squadron, including far too many people to list. Well, I remember the first part, but not the second part of that, Chris. But I'm not, I've never been a big history guy. Uh, <laughs> 
War is Hell, we enter Blackhawks, Sergeant Rock, the Freedom Fighters, Judo Master, and the Young All-Stars. Also, Guardian and the Newsboy Legion, Haunted Tank, Creature Commandos, and the Unknown Soldier. Now, after the war, we bring in Black Canary and Merry, Girl of a Thousand Gimmicks. Uh, that's Merry, Girl of a Thousand Gimmicks is the full name. Justice Society of America brought before the United States House of Un-American Activities under suspicion of giving aid to enemy spies. This led to their disbandment. Task Force X, aka Suicide Squad, is established. Kal-El's rocket lands in Smallville, Kansas. Lighthouse Keeper Tom Curry rescues a shipwrecked woman. And Thomas and Martha Wayne are killed by a crook. Phantom Stranger makes the scene. Even the Monitor doesn't know what to make of this guy, and neither do we. Oh. Into the Silver Age, uh, we meet Captain Comet and the last survivor of Moz, John Jones. On Paradise Island, a girl is born of the mud and clay. Uh, Dan Garrett discovers a blue scarab. Trigon and Raven's mom get it on. Uh, the Monitor discovers Lila bobbing in the surf. Finally, we meet Superman, Batman, Robin, Barry Allen Flash, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, the Atom, Ray Palmer, Thanagarian Police, Hawks, Men and Women, uh, Aquaman, Captain Atom, Green Arrow, and Blue Beetle. This is Ted Cord. Mm-hmm. Also, Adam Strange, Cave Carson, The Challenges of the Unknown, and Dolphin. Starfire's home planet, Tamaran, is taken over. There's a lot of Tamaran stuff all throughout the history of the DC Universe, but it bores me to tears, so I didn't include it. It starts early on, yeah. They start talking it starts about it early, early on, yeah. yeah. Um, the Justice League of America forms. Uh, the, the members that they picture here are Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, Flash, Batman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Adam, and Hawkman. Uh, the Teen Titans form, and the Metal Men are assembled. Built or poured, we're not sure. Sure. Uh, some more Silver Age, we bring in Zatanna, Peter Cannon, dot, 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 Thunderbolt, Ragman, Metamorpho, Mera, Animal Man, Dead Man, Eclipso, Buana Beast, The Question, The Creeper, Elongated Man, Son of Vulcan. Eclipso and Robbie Reed finds the H-E-R-O dial. Sarge Steel and King Faraday show up. The Secret Six, that's not the one... You might be thinking about that's that's not Task Force X. Secret Six or different, or a totally different group. Yep. Uh, the Doom Patrol makes the scene and dies. Uh, then the Fourth World comes in. This is New Genesis and Apocalypse do their trading babies thing. Uh, enter Metron, the Forever People, Mister Miracle, Big Barda, Orion, Calabac, and Darkseid, among others. Uh, their robot rebellion on Kolu, that planet Kolu, brings us Brainiac. Into the Bronze Age, we have the, the Omega Men showing up and destroying Brainiac. We meet the new Doom Patrol. We meet Rose and Thorn, also Black Lightning, Swamp Thing, the Paul Kirk Manhunter, Peacemaker from our Cholton uh, pals there, mm-hmm. uh, Firestorm and Firehawk, Travis Morgan crashes in Skatars and becomes Warlord. We meet the gem, oh, gem, Son of Saturn, the Atomic Knight, Baron Winters, who's from uh, Marv's own Night Force comic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we mentioned Gemworld earlier. Well, here comes Amethyst. Uh, she's the princess of Gemworld. Uh, Raven dwells in Azeroth. Eurycles inhabits the body of Gabrielle Doe, better known to us as the outsider Halo. Rack Shade flees Meta. And Billy Batson is bestowed with, with his power by the wizard Shazam. And now we come into the modern day where the new Teen Titans form. Batman leaves the Justice League to form the Outsiders. Justice League moves to Detroit. The Global Guardians form, and they'd be pretty goofy. We talked about them earlier. The Children, Godchildren, heirs of the Justice Society of America, Infinity Inc. form. Uh, the Enter Blue Devil, Power Girl, Black Orchid, Airwave, Vigilante, 
and Red Tornado. And then, Crisis. Yes, there's some post-Crisis bits included, uh, such as Booster Gold. But was he the first post-Crisis hero or the final pre-Crisis hero? I don't know. In that first issue, Jimmy Olsen works for a a company he works for in the Mm -hmm. pre-Crisis. We also meet uh, Yolanda Montez Wildcat, Kimio Yoshi, Dr. Light. Uh, We jump into Legends, which is the next mega event series, which is included here. Uh, that's that ended with the formation of the Justice League International. That's the Max Lord run uh, group there. Uh, the new Task Force X, which is Amanda Waller's Suicide Squad, and Wonder Woman finally shows up. And then we on to the future, as we mentioned, Jonah Hex is there fighting in the dystopian future. Even further on, we meet Chris KL99, the Star Rover, Star Hawkins, and Space Cabby. Also, sure. Tommy Tomorrow and Space Ranger. And since the future is the world that's coming, we've also got OMAC. And finally, the Legion of Superheroes. Mm-hmm. Of note, John Byrne's next men, or at least two of them, made an appearance in the history of the DC Universe portfolio in 1986. Their page was called Freaks, and it was on lithography plate number nine. Uh, they would never materialize in the DC Universe. Uh, Byrne would eventually go on to self-publish their adventures via Dark Horse Comics, and much later on, and actually recently, in IDW publications. Also of note, DC's weekly post-Infinite Crisis series 52 included a backup strip called History of the DCU, wherein Donna Troy is in possession of Harbinger's history orb and tells the story up to that point in time. And then a year later, in 52 Done Right, the <laughs> countdown that features a backup called History of the Multiverse. Uh, both weekly histories were written by Dan Jurgens. And now we want to talk a little bit about our own yeah. crisis I just, want to, I just want to wrap up with actual just, you know, our reminiscences, our thoughts about it. I, you know, well, I'll explain it right now. So, I, you know, I was about 11. When this came out in 85, I was about 11 years old. And I read, I remember the first three issues. And then I, it was just very overwhelming for me. And you can imagine why. I mean, forget... I didn't. I didn't know half the characters. Now, back then, I didn't know anything. You know what I mean? I was like, "Who are all, all these people?" Uh, and it was just very dense. Very. And one thing that I remember that really annoyed me was that Earth Three was destroyed very early up front. Right and away. I, I loved the Crime Syndicate of America. Even then, I loved them, and I was like, "No, one of my favorite <laughs> things." But uh, even though I, I was just looking at the pictures after that, my brother was a big fan of the series. He loved everything, Wolfman and Perez, and I, I did look at them. Uh, but I knew what, what happened, you know, enough. It was on the wind that Super Flash, Supergirl and Flash had died. The multiverse collapsed, so that these things had changed. It wasn't like this uh, information wasn't uh, available. Eventually, I read it like 98, 99, and a trade. The trade came out in 98, right? The first. I think so, yeah, the Alex Ross cover one. Uh, yeah, I thought I read it yeah. the year after in 99. Uh, and my opinion, Chris, was I thought it was a little overblown. Now, you you read it around the similar time, but you same had a different, time, yeah. Different experience. Let, let me let me tell us about that. Well, uh, it was one of the very first DC things I read. It's when I realized that I was ignoring an entire half of the new comics release table. So I yeah. uh, I uh, started getting really invested in the crisis and uh, going back to my days uh, on Usenet. Um, there was a they had different different folders for different discussions. You had like rec.dc universe, rec.dc legion, and then uh-huh. it was like rec.dc uh, rec. crisis. 
So there was a whole section of uh, Usenet devoted to crisis discussion, and this was probably mid-90s at this point. Um, and so I figured, you know, if I want to get into D.C., I probably should check out this crisis yeah. book. So this would be and, easy, right? Let me just flip through right? this little yeah, brief this is, home. Yeah. This is this is the book to get the new readers in the door, right? Yeah. Now, it was I was way, way lost. Um and you know, I like you like you, I knew that the, the two main beats. I knew Supergirl was going, I knew Flash was going. I didn't know when. I mean, you know, the covers make it clear, but uh but when I started reading it, I didn't know how long I'd be reading before that happened. Yeah. But uh I really, it, so much of it went over my head um, that it it didn't keep me from wanting to read more about DC, but it kept me from wanting to reread this. Yeah, because <laughs> I I was just so lost. Well, you know, reading this now for this for this uh, these shows, I'm pretty sure this is the third time I've read the whole thing through. Me too. I ever, think. you yeah. know what I mean? And this this is something we just celebrated its 30th anniversary, so it's a lot to chew into. And this was definitely the sure. most concentrated reading I've done, obviously, to pick it apart and get all this information, you know, I mean, I, we research characters, we've never read their stories before we learned exactly. about them, so uh, I think definitely, I, I think you'd probably agree, though, this was definitely something that was better received single issues at the time. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because there are a lot of story redundancies in the trade, you know, there's a lot of uh, characters standing around waiting for stuff to happen. Sure. You know what I mean? Kind of people get waylaid for a while till like they make other things go on. We know we said this in the first episode. It was supposed to be ten issues. Yeah, I think this could have easily been six. If you know, just getting down to the nitty gritty of it, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that whole thing with the tuning forks, bringing the Earth one and two together. Bob, there's so much padding. Yeah, it's it's uh, a lot of padding. Yeah, but but with good reason. Um, but I will say that, from what I can tell, Marv is right. This did what it was supposed to do. It dragged a lot of eyeballs over to DC sure. Comics. You know, the, the customers were there. And for a lot of people, I know that this is where they jumped on. This is also, I mean, this is echoes of, you know, recent events, but this is where a lot of people jumped off also. Uh, sure. They felt like their stories no longer counted. Little do they know, <laughs> nothing is permanent in comics. Absolutely. Uh, no, this, uh, this, I would have been, had I been of age and actually understood what this story was all about. I mean, when this came out, I was five. Right. And, uh, and I grew up, you know, a Marvel guy and seeing this as, uh, as, you know, because I, I couldn't deal with the multiple Superman. I couldn't, I, that, that, even in my collecting into my adulthood, my, I would only go back as far as Crisis right. when I was in back issue bins because, Everything else was just like, oh, well, it's an interchangeable Superman story where Lois almost finds out a secret identity, and then the same thing happens next issue. Pretty much, just, yeah. Yeah, and he fights a lizard man, and then this time he fights a giant flower, and then it just seemed very interchangeable and didn't wasn't building onto anything. Where, uh, you know, grow, growing up a Marvel guy, and I, I probably still would be a Marvel guy if they still made comic books, but uh, <laughs> this was uh, this was a... Uh, Definitely, what I would have needed to to hear to to jump in. Yeah, it's uh, it, it definitely did simplify things. I remember before Crisis, and you know, too, you have like Infinity Inc. over here, you got JSA mm-hmm. over there. They're crossing over. Who's on what Earth? And obviously, yeah. became irrelevant as to what Earth people were on. They would cross over and merge so many times. Uh, but I gotta say, I reject the premise that this really simplified the DC universe for new readers. I mean, first of all. I, I reject the idea that new readers need a 
one number one for, for no that i agree with you yeah. you and i both never we didn't start yeah. on number one and we did not no. care about starting on number one nor have i ever thought like oh i better read every batman comic as you point out right this is there's about a decade where every batman comic is pretty much the exact same thing anyway and yep. you know you read what you can get your hands on uh but you know the other thing this did and again this is more echo i, I can't help but feel like a lot of the errors that happened in new 52 happened here even though they're two different things but they're very similar new 52 mm -hmm. also collapsed the multiverse into you know three earths or whatever the hell they thought was happening but uh this instead of like i, I would have thought okay we're going to simplify it let's have one green lantern let's have one yeah. robin no they actually added another earth green lantern permanently <laughs> guy gardner they didn't take away any robins except for the earth two robin that no one really cared about at all i mean they, no. it was like only figured into some stories by Alan Brennert and weirdo like uh, outside <laughs> stories. Uh, it didn't, you know, and like we read this of the whole history. There's just so much superfluous stuff. Like, why are we carrying over Dolphin into the new universe? Like, it, what, are we gonna be? Are we gonna use Dolphin again? I don't think so. I think we can let Dolphin go. I think we can let a lot of these people go. You know, and uh, even just to bring any of the Golden Age characters in, right? You know, it's sure. as much as I love some of those characters. You just complicate. You know, you heard us trying to make sense of who started the JSA. You know what I mean? Like yep. it just doesn't make any more sense anymore. So uh, again, the thing it was meant to do, it bump sales, it did do. Sure. Uh, as far as whether it created a eternal launching pad for great DC stories, I I reject that. I don't think it did. I don't, I don't know what could either, but. Like Marv said, and as as much as I would have hated everything to go back to number one, and I I would hate to read about, you know, read a number one where Superman's rocket crashes in mm -hmm. in Smallville, even though you know that's how Man of Steel started, but that was just an origin retelling. Yeah. I I I don't like that whole starting fresh thing unless you're gonna do it 100%. And like we were saying with the New 52, we had. Uh, and I mean, I'm, we're not saying anything that people haven't heard a million times since 2011, but, yeah. you know, Batman and Green Lantern picked up right where they left off right. yeah. in pre-Flashpoint, where, you know, we had, for all intents and purposes, a brand new Superman. We had, uh, you know, a brand new Wonder Woman. Um, we had a brand new Justice League. And uh, I, I think that hurt them that they couldn't commit whole hog. Yeah. Where uh, if they had... Even here in 1986, uh, God, who, who even who even knows if I'd have been reading? I don't know. It's true, but but it may have been. We don't know. It could have been better for them. It's something could we, have been. we talk about this quite a bit, talking about comics, mm. and that's when people don't stick the landing. You know, we talked about it in sure. in the Clone Wars. Talk about it here. Pretty much every crisis where they walk back the changes or they they set up a legacy hero that. As, as I've said before, even though, you know, whatever, when, when Wally West was the Flash, that wasn't really the reason. I was never a big Flash fan to begin with, but hmm. I was like, ah, I'm, you know, no more. But you are one of them. There are a lot of people that love the Wally West Flash. Tim, oh, Kyle, yeah. Kyle Rayner. When Kyle Rayner came in, I was like, yeah, like, we really need another Green Lantern enough, you know, <laughs> who cares? But this is, this is your Green Lantern. This is your yep. character. And... They by walking it back, they make it way more complicated than it ever was. It you know, it's, yeah. it's sticking to your guns. You know, I, I gotta I gotta say, even though I don't know how they would work it out, I kind of understand why Marv was talking about making it so that the heroes didn't remember the crisis. 
you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's for us to know that happened. But if you're starting a new universe from scratch, why would you remember? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it doesn't. But how would you, like, how would you start? How would you introduce Wally West at that point? It you know, because Barry's gone, but he died be, in the crisis. He would have to be the first one, I guess. I mean, you're, you're maybe it, I don't know. It 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 spits out a whole bunch of uh, outliers, and, and sure. part of it is because they didn't do that. You know, they yeah, since they absolutely. were able to reference it, they didn't have to worry about that. But yeah, you, they'd have to write something there. They'd have to mm -hmm. write around that. Maybe had, maybe they'd have to make more hard and fast decisions about what JSA characters were allowed to hang around. Sure. You know. Uh, but but they would have had a definite break, which you know this this was a pretty hard break from you know what came before, what came after. But especially as a few years wore on, they started to roll back a lot of it. They started to get you know they they didn't want to give up some of the old Silver Age trappings. And then mm -hmm. by the time Mark Wade was writing for the company, he couldn't get enough Silver Age jammed in every <laughs> damn corner of the thing. Uh, so that's, you know, again, it's it's all a matter of what might have been, you know. This, what yeah. we're talking about could have been a cataclysmically hor horrible bad idea, but at least they would have really gone to try it, you know what I mean, seeing what they can do. Uh, mm. Overall, though, I do think this is probably the nicest love letter to a comics company that had come out to that point, right? Sure, Maybe. I absolutely. Mean, you really see uh, Wolfman and definitely George Perez just treating these characters, even ones that we scoff at with a lot of respect, you know? Uh, yeah. Not treating them like jokes, not just like making a lot of inside jokes about, oh, I can't even think of any offhand, but, you know, just like wiping somebody away. He talks to fish. Ex <sighs> exactly, something like this, you know? Uh, there's none of that. It, you know, the, this feels like a real event with real repercussions. You know, sure. it's serious business. If not to say it's like, uh, you know, a serious story throughout. But yeah, this, this is a serious event that happened. And George Perez, uh, in the first episode, in the in the almost inaudible, as I found out, uh, break. With this, George, <laughs> George Perez is talking, and he says that someone else was picked to draw this series. Before he stepped in and said he wanted to, and he wouldn't name that other person, but I'm thinking, who the hell could it have been? Who who could draw this right. many characters in a in a splash page and have them all look unique and individual? You could actually, you know, when we read these lists of characters, you could see those characters on the page. It's clear. It's yeah. really it's really bizarre. Uh, this is I was thinking today. This is one. I'm not a big fan of absolute editions in general. I feel like they're often a little waste of money. Plus, they don't fit. Easily on, on my shelves. shelves. Yeah. But this is one to think about, right? The uh, Doing a one and a half up, a little oversized. Sure. Oh, those are the absolutes, right? Those are the oversized ones. Uh, yeah, I think because the, uh, the, the, I don't know if this would have an omnibus or it would be an absolute. I think it was the absolute because that's the book that we cited Skate 800 times when we were uh, introducing all those new We did that Earths. weird comics history, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, the, there's a series DC does. I think it's absolute where it's one and a half up. They do it. They do it at the size that it was drawn, uh, and this is something I'd really like to see in that format, um, just for the artwork. I mean, this is really a beyond story. It is a tour de art. Is that, a, is that a real phrase? Yeah. Did I make that up? It, it, it works. Uh, now, and I wanted to talk about one last thing, Chris. Having delved into this deeper than I ever did before, I can definitely say the other two times that I read it throughout, and I have tried to pick it up and read parts. Or, you know, I started a lot of times or I would just go right to the Supergirl part or whatever. Sure. Uh, 
that I started to see a lot of more symbolism in this book that I did before. I don't know if it all applies, but you know, the think about the two people that die. The big, but there are more people than this. But the two biggies that die, the ones that you remember, yeah. You got the Flash. That's the guy that kicked off the Silver Age. So sort of mm -hmm. by putting him to bed, you're putting that to bed. You're saying we're putting away the Silver Age, and then especially Supergirl, which is one of the most silly aspects of the Silver Age. To kill her, we're, that's all just more heaping onto that. Like, this is not what DC is about anymore. We are not your father's comic books. We are serious business. We don't, you know, I mean, I'm sure if they could have killed Comet the Horse, they would have done <laughs> that too, but they had nowhere to fit him in. Uh, yeah. The fact that Darkseid at the end kills the Anti-Monitor, I saw that as another kind of a historical significance because, you know, that's Kirby at DC. Yep. Sort of, it's a little early-ish, but it's sort of what leads to kicking off what I would consider the Bronze Age, which started around 77-ish, mm -hmm. right? No one, no one ever has an exact year. Everyone has their own, their own parameters, yeah, I, but my Yeah, I, right I, don't really, I don't really push the Silver Age into the 70s at all in my own headcanon, so yeah. I, you knock it I, off right at the beginning, okay. Yeah. There definitely is a big change, you know, right there. We know that in 69, that's when Marvel overtook DC in sales for the first time, and they sat up and took notice, plus Marvel changed distributors, they mm -hmm. increased their you know num number of books, and DC tried to do the same thing, and now we are just referencing many, many issues of Weird Comics history, folks, so make sure to check <laughs> our backlog. Uh, and then the fact, in the very end, the original Siegel and Schuster Superman, for all intents and purposes, is the one that saves the day, right? And, yep. he, get, and he gets first to hero. be with his Girl is his. He gets his happily his ever. happily ever after, you know. And it's like, it's such a, it's such a stupid thing. Like the way it happens, you know. It's basically Alexander Luther. Like I felt like doing it. That's all. By the way, I have paradise inside me. Yeah. Oh, I, I was, I was holding, I was holding on to Lois this whole time. I forgot to mention it. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it is very touching, and I, I feel like there's a, there's a symbolism there also, where it's like, we are, you know, we are moving past our. Past, right? We're we're, gone, yeah. but we're, we're still we have some, eyes to the future now. There's yeah. respect though for mm -hmm. what came before, and especially you got to respect Siegel and Schuster if you have a job in comics. They're the reason that that is so. Yeah, uh, for sure. But that that's that's just what I picked apart, Chris. I don't know if you've got any more uh, esoteric thoughts about Crisis after no, I, these five episodes. <laughs> no, you picked up on uh, on a lot of things there that I, I didn't even see. I, I did see the significance of, you know, the first and best hero saving the day at the end. Right. Um, I didn't consider the, uh, I didn't consider the uh, significance of Darkseid, uh, you know, doing the deed. Yeah. And uh, I didn't even think of uh, Supergirl as, as being representative of all those campy and strange and silly uh you know, uh, tropes of the Silver Age. Yeah. Uh, I definitely did see Flash as the guy who kicked off the Silver Age being being symbolic in his removal, especially since it was a uh, like a DC mandate. Yes. Uh, and one of Marv's, you know, bugbears about not or not wanting to kill him was that he was the first. So uh, I, I there's, there's, whether it's intentional or not, there's definitely something there. Yeah, that's the thing. This is conjecture. Uh, this is not read in any interview or had Marv tell us anything. But this is, you know, this is what you do when you examine literature, folks. You end up making stuff up off the top of your head, and that's how what we did. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, as as much as this was, and it was a lot of work, I had a really good time with it. And oh uh, yes. I really feel like for the first time, I really have a grasp on this 
Max experience, <laughs> but more than I ever did before, for sure. You know, before, if you'd asked me, I'd be like, oh, it's something about, I don't remember, the Earth's got thrown in a sack, and then the anti-monitor got thrown into a star. I didn't really Some remember. dude cried a lot. Yeah, that's what I always remembered, was like the <laughs> annoying parts of it. But uh, yeah, we, I had a good time with it. Uh, but we would love to hear your reminiscences out there in listener land, or what you think, if there was any other esoteric aspects, or where we messed up. Or did we forget a, a bio? I don't know. Uh, you never know. should write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cosmic T-mail history. We're on Twitter at cosmic T-mail, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. And I'm at Ace Comics. And you can find our writings every week on weirdsciencedccomics.com. And you should read Chris's writings every day. On his personal blog, ChrisOnInfiniteEarth.com, where you review a new DC comic, well, a different DC comic. Yes. From any point in DC's history every day. And they have, you know, I've missed a lot of them partly because of this <laughs> the series. Yeah, I'm busy over here. Uh, I did read a couple this week, though, but you have just been digging up some gems, boy. Woo! Mm-hmm. You have got some yeah. DC ammunition for the people. <laughs> I did uh, the final night this uh, week was uh, my That's right the Green Lantern my, thing. Yeah, that was uh, I, I it was one of those books uh, that you know you look at and you're like, oh yeah, I read that a hundred times, and turns out I never read it once. Huh. So Interesting. I, I opened it up. I'm like, I didn't. I never read this for sure. Did it cast but, Hal Jordan a little bit differently for you, seeing that he was like even a he was kind of a sympathetic character for a minute as Parallax. Right. He was, he was, and uh, and in a lot of, uh, I did some uh, refreshes of old things that I've written um, about like Zero Hour and even going in through uh, Emerald Twilight, and I find that my uh, my main takeaway from Hal's darkening was that he, at the end of the day, he wasn't a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, and this uh, Final Night series just kind of put that in, in cement for me that... He wasn't, you know, a very bad dude. So this it was a, it was a great fun, a great bit of fun to read. And uh, once we get over our DC hangover, maybe it'll be something we cover here. I'd love to do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, Green Lantern are my favorite things, but mm-hmm. we're definitely going to be putting the DC down for a few weeks, folks. Like, <laughs> yes. you know, we, I think we have filled our tanks with DC information and knowledge <laughs> and, and all that. So uh, I think that's all we got for him this week, Chris. You got anything else for him? No, nope, that'll do it. Until next time, folks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill, crisis tactically. Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific.